Welcome to another edition of Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis. Five locations, we'll talk about them in a little bit. Someone who's probably been to Masses a few times on his on his way through from Mattoon. Mattoon, I always get it wrong. It's Mattoon. Mattoon. Bo- you pronounce both T's. Well, if you have enough teeth to do so. No one has ever interrupted the introduction like you have. Will Leach! Sorry about that. Sorry He's, about that. Yeah. I, Just get used to the interruptions. They're going to keep coming. I apologize in advance. He's got this, I, I get to see him, this is good too, and he's got this mic set up, it's awesome. He's a multimedia guy, everyone knows Will Leach. Will, thank you for joining me. Um, I, I will start by just telling folks here who are listening, we, we've known each other a long time, but I've known your family even mm-hmm. longer. I met your family when I was doing uh, some Cardinal stuff in San Francisco. They flew out with us, your dad and mom, and your sister was living out in San Francisco. So after the game, we all went, we hung out, the next day we watched Adam Wainwright hit his first home run and get his first win. So I hung out with the leeches, and then I'm like, oh, I need to meet Will someday. So your family's a lovely family, and uh, I'm happy to, to know all four of you. Yeah, we are a Cardinals family, to say the very least. You know, like, like in many American families, um, we irritate each other all the time. But uh, baseball is usually, specifically the Cardinals, is the way uh, one of my favorite family photos that we have is from, I believe, 1987. Uh, Dad, we had some, I was like 11, so I didn't really quite understand what was going on, but we had some sort of insurance agent who I think was trying to sell my dad a policy by trying to get him into the Cardinals dugout, and then he did. So there's this classic photo of uh, my father, who is my age now, but thinner than me, which is I am now, which is very annoying. Uh, but my father, my mother, uh, myself, and my little sister are wearing a I root for two teams, the Cardinals whoever, and whoever played the Cubs, posing with both Ken Daly and Tito Landrum. They, we have these beautiful full print black and white photos on our home in Mattoon. Uh, the Cardinals are the family, uh, uh, I guess Catholicism is a family religion, but the unofficial family religion uh, is Cardinal baseball. So it's the center of everything. And they have always spoken very highly of you. Uh, I remember hearing about that trip in San Francisco, and uh, they had a great time out there, and, and we're just we're, we're very honored and happy that you let them be a part of it. No, it was fun, and they uh, it was actually I was riding out with Al Rabowski, and your dad literally had his ear for the full three half three three point five hours. To San Francisco, and I'm sure Al enjoyed that immensely. <laughs> yeah, Dad, Dad, uh, uh, if it makes him feel, it makes Al feel any better. He does that to everyone on planes. Uh, I love my father very much, uh, but uh, he uh, he likes to talk on planes, even if he doesn't know you. Uh, particularly now that his son is a writer and has b- uh, things that can be bought of his sons on uh, online. Like my poor dad's like, oh, like whoever is stuck sitting next to my father on a plane the entire time, he'll be like, so my son wrote a book. You should face good book yeah here's what you get on amazon they're just like dude i'm literally staring at my laptop my ipad with my headphones in please stop talking to me but hey that's the sort of good natured midwestern cheer we have grown to love so and like like your career my notes are like all over the place because you've done so much but your dad is the reason i found out about deadspin so this was 2006 (laughs) and i didn't know what deadspin was so it just opened but for folks obviously who have followed your career you helped create deadspin and uh, it's one of the preeminent sports blogs. I mean, people talk about it. They do um, kind of what sports fans look for. But uh, you were there when it started, and it, it, it definitely went through some changes and, and big media corporations and all that stuff. But how, how proud are you when people talk to you about that and bring up Deadspin and, and you being that founder? 
Yeah, yeah, certainly. By having my father introduce you to Deadspin is probably the best possible way to be introduced to Deadspin. Usually, uh, uh, it's that or like a photo of genitals. So I'm glad that you got. I'm glad that you got my dad. Unintended, uh, unintended dong is usually my favorite uh, thing they do. They're yeah, little. Yeah, that, was, that was my. That was my. Uh, my, the, my the saddest band name uh, that I had in, in college. Um, <laughs> unintended dong. So no, we uh, Deadspin. I launched. I, I was the founder of Deadspin. I launched it in two thousand five. Uh, basically, I, uh, I I moved to New York in the year two thousand and to make my way in the world of journalism and to be fancy pants serious writer man and starved for like five years and uh, answered phones at doctor's offices and uh, I had a brief moment answering phones for Telemundo which I was really bad at because it turns out you have to be able to speak Spanish to answer phones at Telemundo I just said like no a lot <laughs> and uh, so but basically uh, I while I was out there while doing the kind of those odd jobs I I did a lot of work on my own in kind of the early days of online and Gawker Media saw what I was doing and said, hey, we kind of like some of your stuff. Would you, do you have any ideas on stuff you might want to have us do? And so I kind of, I said, you guys should do a sports site. And I mapped out the idea of how a funny sports site that would really be about the bridging the gap between the people that work in sports and the people that consume sports. To me, I had worked as a more traditional sports reporter before and found it generally kind of unsatisfying because I found a lot of people that did it for a long time started to like sports a lot less than they had when they started. And I love sports. So uh, I wanted to kind of like, I mapped out the idea of how a fun sports site that had a good sense of humor and was all about the sillier aspect of sports, but also like called out some of the uh, hypocrisy uh, in sports a little bit. And they said, wow, this is a really good idea. Nobody has any idea who you are. So we're going to hire you to be a famous person's assistant <laughs> when, we get, when we find the right famous person. And fortunately for me, all the famous sports writers turned them down. So they said, fine, you got six months, you're cheap, go for it. And the site became Deadspin. Uh, and I was very fortunate and very lucky. Uh, I did it for three years um, and loved every minute of it. I was very controlling of Deadspin. I was very, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur or some sort of visionary. I type, you know, that's what I do. I write, I do some television now, but mostly I write. And, I, and that's the work that I do. So um, for me, I, I that was exciting for me to have uh, connect with an audience like that. I don't think it was because people just thought, wow, Will's so genius. We have to pay, we have to, can't wait to hear what he has to say. I think it was more that the world kind of wanted a site that took sports a little less seriously and kind of had fun with it and called out some of the junk that people didn't like about sports in kind of a funny way. Uh, and someone was going to do that eventually. And so Deadspin, I was just lucky to get there first. So Deadspin got big enough eventually where they needed it needed to be a corporation and, and a big, huge thing. I, that's not really my bag. So I left to go to New York Magazine, uh, and I, where I still write today, as well as New York Times and MLB and all the other th things I'm sure we'll talk about. But Deadspin is still running and still doing great. I know, uh, I know everyone that's worked there. I know the editor-in-chief now. I've known every editor-in-chief uh, that, that's worked there and a ton of the people that write there. I'm very honored uh, to get to be associated uh, still. I like to think some of my DNA is still uh, on that site today. And I'm very – everything that they do, uh, I'll put it this way. If the person that took over Deadspin for me had run it into the ground, no one would care that I founded Deadspin. They'd be like, oh, that's right. You founded that – one site that I can't remember the name of because it fell apart. So I feel like I'm always kind of living off the largesse of all the people that came after me. So thank you, AJ Delario, Tommy Craggs, Tim Marchman, and Megan Greenwell for making Deadspin really big. So uh, I continue to get to have some of the spoils from it. Yeah, and I we had this conversation before, but I, I think it'd be fun to get your take on it for other people to hear. I, I think I asked you one time, do you like? 
I understand the, the the beating up of the Cardinals is kind of your thing, and I don't mind good natured ribbing. But there's sometimes I love the Cardinals. For the record, to be very clear, we, I love right. the Cardinals, and I will never beat up the Cardinals. <laughs> no, 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 Cardinals. and I do but too. That be, happened after me. All right. the dead spin Cardinals fighting happened after. Me. And that's fine. When a team's winning, that's what's going to happen. You don't see them beating yeah. them up now. But uh, I think I think what I asked you was like, you know, man, it. I love Deadspin. I, I still check it out uh, every once in a while, not as much as I used to, because I just felt like it was just getting really mean to everybody. To hey, this is why your team sucks, or here's uh, bad. <laughs> and I asked you if you found it to get if you found it to maybe kind of skewing that way. And you and I thought you said no. You know that that's what they did. And I was just curious. You know, as we look back on it now, I don't think they're as, as biting as they used to be. Um, you know, maybe in 2014, 2013, when it was, mm. it, it, I think it's apex when people were just going there. I don't know what. A good amount of people is, but a thousand million hits per second. I don't know, but just tell me a little bit about what you thought when you kind of saw. I know the Cardinal thing was kind of a shot at you, and again, the Cardinals were good, so you're going to take shots at the teams that are good. But what did you think about kind of the negativity they were kind of spewing? Because it felt like every article was like, "Your team sucks," and Belichick's an idiot. I think that uh, a lot of that came from Drew McGarry, who is still on the site and probably the most popular writer. Even back in my uh, uh, back after I left, soon after I left, he was the most popular guy there. He's been there a long time, and he started this series called "Why Your Team Sucks." And the point of the series was not to say your team sucks and you're a terrible person. It was almost it was meant as like a satirical fun way to make fun of a team because that's what we do in sports, right? We totally make fun of teams that aren't ours. That's uh, like I have a if you want to hear a million Cubs insults, trust me, I got them. I don't like the Cubs. Uh, so that's part of fun, the fun of sports, right? But sports are also very territorial. So when you say something about someone else's team, it feels a lot worse when it's said back to you. And particularly because I would argue that Cardinals fans, we think of ourselves as the good guys. Like, and I, I'm not saying we're not. I just think that, like, a lot of, like, for example, a Yankees fan, no Yankees fan thinks that their team are the good oh, guys. Well, so I'm, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to let you go on. Uh-oh. But we're going to get in. They're good and they like their team. We're going to get into this. I, Cardinal fans, mm, we'll get into it. All right. But well, no, no, okay, okay. There's a, okay, to be fair, I'm not saying that, like, Every Cardinals fan thinks every move that Mike Matheny and John Mazalek is great. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that every Cardinals fan thinks the best fans in the world are Cardinals fans, which is fine. I think that way, too, because the Cardinals are more than just they're, they're obviously a baseball team. But they're more than a baseball team. Like This is like we talked about earlier with Tito Landrum and Ken Daly and the fact that I will remember the starting lineup for the 1982 St. Louis Cardinals on my deathbed like it is a central part of my life and most cardinal fans are the same way and so and when there's so many of them it inevitably becomes something that you become very uh, pr- 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 protective of and something that you want to you do not like people the outsiders coming in and ripping on so i get that so drew drew's the conceit for his column was always meant to be a mocking of every team but the difference was he was a little meaner when he did the Cardinals one because it was me. And he loves to keep fun of me because we're friends. But I, what happened was Cardinal fans, because we're not used to being criticized like that, and we're not used to having that sort of exposure, we think of ourselves as, hey, we love the Cardinals, yay! And I think the outpouring of uh, uh, the number of people that were angry and took the column so dead seriously took Drew aback. And what happens when you're Drew and you're deadspin is to be like, wait, you guys are so upset about this. We, of course, have to keep doing this now. And that's really kind of how that got started. And you're right. I think it is very telling that as the Cardinals have not made the playoffs the last couple of years and have not been as high profile, there haven't been as, been as many posts uh, ripping on the Cardinals. But, so I do think there is something to the success that the Cardinals had. But I also think there is, like, 
he did a column like that about, about the Arizona Cardinals, my favorite football team. And that was just as mean, if not meaner, than the St. Louis Cardinals piece to me and the fans of that team. But nobody cared because there aren't very many Arizona Cardinals fans. And they're not all that sensitive about their team. We Cardinal fans deeply care about our team and have a lot of our identity wrapped up in our fandom. And therefore, we took it personally in a way that, frankly, kind of compounded the problem they were counting off losses each time. Right, by the way, the Cardinals oh, lost. I remember. I remember. I remember. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. Now, this is the other conversation we had. We had a long talk one day, me, you, and your dad. But this was the one that I think we argued uh, until you said, all right, I got to get inside of the ball game. But my, <laughs> and, and it's about Cardinal fans. And I know we are probably the same. I mean, I just die hard. But I die hard with this team. I really want them to do I want them to win. And I've lived this thing. It's religion to me. I, I go on and on and on about how much this really is part of like my fabric. I, I was put here for a reason to live in St. Louis and be a Cardinal fan. But that being said, I do just get, I had to work the winter warm up for 15 straight years and you just see the Cardinal fan and it's not really there. It's more at the ball game. They, they take pride in being called best fan in baseball and they mm-hmm. overdo it and they pat themselves on the back by, you know, it just, to me, it gets overboard when you start believing your own hype Yes, we're very smart, and yes, we grow up on this stuff, and it is like an Alabama football. Like we do know everything about you know Jordan Hicks before he came up. But I always get this bad feeling about Cardinal fan being way too into themselves. Uh, I just enjoy the game. I don't need everyone to know that. Yeah, I'm a Cardinal fan, and you know I, I call it elitist. We, you know, sometimes I get called an elitist because I know things about the Cardinals. And the friend of mine is like, "You're a baseball elitist." I said. I just know things. I, I've studied. This is what I do. But my point was <laughs> Cardinal fans sometimes take themselves too seriously with the best fans in baseball moniker. And I think you, you kind of you went back at me and said, you should. So I was just curious, you know, your thought on, on that. Yeah, well, I, first off, like anytime you work in media, you're going to see things on a massive. Like, listen, I, if, I, if I just – if I – saw the responses to my work all the time as a cross-section of humanity, uh, I would be very down about humanity across the board. I think when you work in media, I always have felt, kind of felt like part of the job when you work in media is almost to be like a stress valve for America. Like the way that like a coach yells at a ref. Like your job when you work in media is people are really, they get very upset and passionate about things and they yell at you about them. And so I've always kind of felt like part of my job is to just take it. <laughs> like part of my job is just accept that like, yep. Yeah, they're mad at something else other than me, but I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I'll accept it uh, as is. But I'll say that uh, uh, when it comes to the Cardinals, I think that, like, listen, I remember 1995 as a Cardinals fan when there were no cocky Cardinals fans in 1995. Like, no one was like, wow, we are truly the greatest fans in baseball. Well, I did have a, I had a Mike Morgan jersey, I will say. Yeah, yeah. No, I love this. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you were a Mike Morgan fan, you could have like 18 different jerseys because he played for 18 different teams. But like being, you know, with, with the Cardinals, one of the reasons the Cardinals seem like they're really proud of them, Cardinal fans seem like they're really proud of themselves and sometimes even a little spoiled is because they have been. This team has been relevant and good for more than tw- for 22 years now and, and has given its, its fans, I mean, I've always joked that 2011, it's almost hard for me to get upset about anything anymore because 2011 is just the absolute pinnacle of what I think a fan experience could it's, possibly it's be. It's our 1964. I remember my dad always yeah. bringing up 1964. I'm the same way. We're, not, we're never going to see 2011 again, so I'm the same way. Whatever yeah. el- else happens is, is gravy. 
Yeah, and so I think because there's been so much success, uh, I think there's an expectation and there's an entitlement involved. And also, because there's been so much success, it is tied even more into our identity. And I think it's, don't think of it as like, we really truly believe that every other fan in baseball is not as good as we are. It's not that. I don't think that people have actually sat down and made like a calculation and said, yep, I, there are not enough people at that Red Sox game today we're better fans than they are. It's not that. It is just a, like listen. A lot of Cardinal, like you know, you know how this is. You know, you've you've, you've been in, in, in larger states. I lived in New York for thirteen years. There is this unquestioned sense of when you live out. Like I worked in New York. I everybody in New York thinks the only city that matters is New York. Just like in Los Angeles, everybody thinks the only city that matters is Los Angeles. And when you're not in the middle there, you take the when you're not in one of those places, you take the things that are important to you and you hang on to them very tightly. And Cardinal baseball is something that people take very emotionally and very personally, sometimes to a fault. But I will say that like I I think I, for the record, I think what a lot of our discussion memory serves was me claiming, probably erroneously, that I don't think a lot of Cardinal fans are walking around going, "Hello, I'm one of, the, I'm the best fan in the world. I'm the best fan in baseball. Everyone else is great." I, I don't think there's explicitly saying that. Do I think that they consider themselves? their fandom more special than other teams' fandom? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think it's probably a little worse with the Cardinals than maybe some of some other teams. But every team thinks their fandom. Everybody thinks their fandom is better than everyone else's fandom because it's theirs. And I think part of the Cardinals' problem is, A, you have a ton of Cardinals fans. Like, there's a lot of them. And I say this is a problem. I'm not even sure it is a problem. But with the issue that we're talking about, one is that there's a ton of Cardinals fans. But another issue is that... For a lot of Cardinals fans, like, like th- this is a nightly activity. It was very frustrating for me to see, particularly when, when some of the uglier stuff was going on with the Cardinals, and there was there's that ugliness outside Bush Stadium, and 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 th- this idea of um, you know, and, and people were calling Adam Wainwright like a, a some sort of enforcer of baseball's unwritten rules or something. Which, if you've watched Adam Wainwright play, is absolutely not what Adam Wainwright is at all. And what's frustrating for me is when you see something every day, and I. But there's not a moment the Cardinals are playing where I'm not either watching or fully aware of what the exact score is at any moment. It's a daily part of my life, just like it is for a lot of Cardinals fans. And because of that, when other people come from the outside and have all sorts of thoughts and all sorts of judgments that they have when they're not there every day, I think you react strongly. And because the Cardinals are not the Yankees, where the turn on Sports Center, or turn on MLB Network, they're talking about the Yankees, whether they're good or not. The Cardinals feel like this thing is ours. And so Sometimes it's irrational, and sometimes it's wrong, and sometimes it's obnoxious, and that's absolutely true. But I also think it comes from a place of passion. I would much rather have this situation than have apathy. And in 1995 and 1994, during those dark eras of Joe Torre, oh, I don't know whatever happened to that guy. He was such a bad manager. <laughs> those days of Joe Torre, it was really dark, and nobody cared about this team, and they were they were up for sale, and maybe they were going to move to East St. Louis. Like I remember dark times of Cardinal baseball so if the worst thing i have to deal with is the cardinals success uh turning making everybody think the cardinals fans are obnoxious and conceited i can handle that because i remember when they were bad yeah and i think the wrap up on this point i think my i understand a, a standing ovation for willie mcgee every time you see him or jose okendo or even even so 
But when Abraham Nunez comes up and everyone, hey, hey, let's get up and cry, clap for Abraham Nunez. Every yeah, what's, sing- what's wrong with that? Like, I, honestly, what's wrong with that? I, what bothers I, you about that? Because it should, those should be saved for Willie McGee and Mark McGuire, you know? No it it shouldn't be everybody that has put McGee on a... Willie is there as opposed to Abraham Nunez. It's like, clearly puts, it's different. Everyone puts on a uniform, gets to come back, and gets a standing ovation. I don't like it. Oh, no. Heaven forbid we actually value these people that we watch every day in our lives. But see, like, that, that's okay, right? This was the argument we had. This is where yes, we... Yes, exactly, exactly. So that's where we go. But that's, that's, my, that's what I was saying about just yes. the whole card. I'm sorry. I got to get in the stadium. Hey, thanks, Brad. I gotta go. <laughs> I think that's how it ended last time. But uh, yeah, that's right. Um, the other thing that um, we were just talking, I, I just talked to Greg Amsinger about three months ago about how the Cardinals, you know, haven't been in the playoffs in a while. And to me, there is this feeling of, I totally get. I'm spoiled. All right, let's just get that out of the, the way because Greg was like, "Well, put yourself in an A's uh, fan jersey or a Marlins," and I said, "Greg, you know, you're from here too. We don't, we didn't live there. We don't live there. We live here." And I think what I get angry about most about this, not it's not that they're not going to the playoffs. I understand you can't go to the playoffs every year. What what bugs me is that we're told by the management. I just remember when Tony was here, it was, we're going to win a World Series. We're down here to win a World Series. And that message has changed in my head. I hear, we're going to be competitive. And you hear folks ask them, well, you know, the Cubs is like, you know, we're not going to watch the Cubs. We're going to worry about ourselves. And this is where I get angry because you have the 11 pennants thrown up in the stadium. You see it every every half inning. There's there's the, the, the Tom Lawless home run, Bruce Suter pumping his fist, Adam Wainwright. So they pump it at you. So you can't, go back and say, well, we're going to be competitive. As a fan, I expect to win a World Series because that's what the expectation has been since I've been a kid and have been told that I'm a Cardinal fan. This is what you expect. And so to get the message to be changed somewhere in the middle, well, we're going to be competitive. And I understand. I think they're trying to win. But I think when they pump it in their in your face, and the last thing on this, it's you hear them say, well, you know, I think we've been successful in the past. Yeah, well, if you're going to use that as your line, let's continue to talk about winning World Series and being successful. I understand that their thought is, hey, 2006, we won 83 games, we won a World Series. 2011, we were 63 and 59 on August 25th, and we won the World Series. So it, there's other ways of getting there. My point is, every year those teams said, hey, we want to win a World Series at spring training. I don't hear it anymore. Thoughts? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I get that. Uh, I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'm going inside the ballpark. Talk to you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think a little bit that's La Russa, right? Like La Russa was just like La Russa, I loved La Russa, and particularly I don't want to get into some of the uh, my current issues with current uh, dugout management. I'll say, but I'll say obviously the thing I loved about La Russa was I didn't always agree with him, and I didn't always think he. And a lot of times I would get the constant like everything. Every game was a freaking war, and it's exhausting sometimes. Uh, so, La but La I love more. that. That's I know it doesn't I feel. Like that's what that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't like feel like there's a war. There's we were hated when we went into Milwaukee because we we're gonna beat Milwaukee nine to three. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Though. Sorry, is that like is that like <laughs> I like the I like the Larusa took Cardinal losses as bad as I did. And I always loved that about La Russa. Like winning was so important. So I do under I get it. I and I, so I love that about La Russa. It is also worth noting that I do think that by by the end of that, like let's let's say the Cardinals don't win in 2011. They don't win the World Series, and they've crap out in August. Like it clearly looked like they were going to that year. 
We were very tired of La Russa by then. Like, I, because they won the World Series in the most improbable possible way, we kind of forget that by the end, La Russa was clinging so tight to this team that all of a sudden all these springs were popping up, like him and Roland are fighting. And now what's up with Edmonds? And all these little weird things kept popping up and all these little fights were happening. And it just kind of got exhausting after a while to the point where I think if you look around baseball, managers like La Russa are not around anymore. I don't think this is a Cardinal-specific thing. Managers now are, for lack of a better term, middle managers. (laughs) They are guys, there's the the executives that are in charge, and the manager there is to be good with the the press, to sometimes fill out a lineup, but under the auspices of the general managers running it, and to have the players quote-unquote respect him. That's the job now. There's a reason Girardi isn't a manager right now. Like like, The Yankees fired Joe Girardi, even though he was this leader of men, because they don't want managers. That's not The way front offices are set up now, they want more they don't need that guy that pushes so hard. They need that guy that just understands that. And listen, there may be an organizational issue with the Cardinals about this, an organizational issue throughout all of baseball. We can definitely disagree. We can definitely argue about. Listen, do the Cardinals need more urgency? Is Mosellock too kind of like cool and too kind of removed and not like fiery enough? We can have that argument, but certainly that's the case throughout baseball right now. Baseball is not run by Tony La Russa's anymore. It's run by John Mosellocks. And the idea of, we got to go out there, it's a fight, and it's a war, and so on. Maybe we don't like it, and I think it's, I, I understand the arguments in that regard, but it is hardly a Cardinal-specific thing. I think that's generally how baseball is now. You try to win, you either have, you have these windows, like you're a team like the Astros, where you're terrible for five years, and you have three win, three years, three or four years where they're just going to floor it and go for it, and then they have to start over. The Cardinals are a team that needs to be in perpetual contention. They, that, that's the whole idea, right? The Cardinals, do you, you're there, you're, you're there more often than I am. Do you think the Cardinals could do what the Astros did? Of just crap out for five years. No chance. But have it be worth it in five years. No, that was 1994, 95. And yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I don't think, I, and particularly now that we've had all the success, no one would stand for that. Like, so, to, therefore, the, the response to that is, okay, we're shooting for 89, 90 wins every year, and we'll see what happens when we get in the playoffs. Because if you try to do what the Astros are doing, where you, you crap out for five years and then floor it for those three years, there will be a reckoning. Like, look what the Royals are doing right now. The Royals are going to be terrible for five or six years, and that's okay because they're the Royals. The Cardinals fans would not stand for it in that way. So I think you kind of have to have the Mosellock notion of, and listen, I'm not going to defend the manager after La Russa. I am pro La Russa, but I do think strategy-wise, you kind of have to, it's not so much letting your foot off the gas as much as understanding we can't go all in every day and every year, or we're going to turn into the Tigers, or we're going to turn into the we're going to turn into the Orioles, or we're going to turn into the White Sox before they finally sold everybody off. Where you hang on too long and everything bottoms out. What Mozeliak and Gersh are trying to do is to keep this thing sustaining, and to do that, I would argue sometimes you don't go for it as much as maybe a team that's not trying to sustain that would be. That's the trade-off. It's frustrating for me, too. I wanted them to do more this offseason. But to be fair, I was really mad they didn't sign David Price, who's not turned out very well for them. I was really mad they didn't sign Jason Hayward, who's one of the worst contracts in baseball. I was really mad they didn't sign uh, uh, Jeff Samarja, who's not worked out well at all. Sometimes that prudence of not flooring it and going for it all the time 
does have its advantages. I, I will say you have put that succinctly and, and very cogently to where I can almost actually feel like I, know, I don't always say, oh, my, what are they doing? What are they doing? Um, I didn't <laughs> I didn't understand what they were doing with the bullpen. Uh, but now it, it seems like there's a plan. I, I, but see, that's, that's another thing, the plan. Like, this is a Matheny thing, right? Like, if, if, if they hadn't assigned Holland, did you hear, did you hear Shannon, by the way, the other day when, uh, in, in the Sunday game, when, when, they, when uh, they said Holland was warming up in the bullpen and Shannon just completely deadpan, and the Cardinals are going to need some more runs. <laughs> I, I love Shannon so much. Um, and, but that's the thing. Like, right now, everyone wanted, like, you need a plan for the bullpen. You need a plan for the bullpen. You've got to get that closer. But, like, if let's say they had not signed Holland, we'd be totally happy with the bullpen right now. There'd be no, like, no, like, we'd be a little disappointed by Lions. We thought Lions would be a little better, and Leon's kind of come along a little bit. But on the whole, the mix and match thing that we all kind of, that, that they, that we all, that a lot of people said is not a plan. They don't have a plan. They're just going to mix and match guys. That's actually what they've been doing, right? And it's totally worked. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned you kind of had issues with uh, what's going on in the dugout with the field manager. Now, I'm curious yes. what uh what's your main uh I might I mean I have my own, so I'll maybe see right. if ours match up. I'm sure they're pretty close. Uh I th- listen, there are always specific things and part of the job of a manager is to be second guessed. And and that comes with the job, but we second guessed we second guessed La Russa for crying out loud. Trust I, 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 the idea that Whitey Herzog never got questioned by Cardinals fans. People were on him all the time. So the notion that he was just this universally beloved guy. All managers are second guessed. The best manager in the world gets second guessed all the time. Yeah, but let me stop you. Let me stop you. We just actually had this conversation. Me and a buddy, I think two days ago, and we said, "Well, when what did people say bad about Whitey?" And as a kid, I'm trying to think. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember what bad. What What do you think? It just felt like Whitey just was is beloved because he, he obviously he was the white rat and the running right. Redbirds. But what I mean, can you remember a good criticism of Whitey? I I, I just can't really think of uh, on a you know a three hundred sixty five day a year or one hundred sixty two games. I don't remember my dad going, "Man, Whitey's terrible at managing the bullpen," or "Boy, he left that starter in too long." I don't remember. Right. I mean, do you remember? I'm just curious. Well, yeah, well, certainly it got rough after 87, man. Like, like, it, it, like, remember, he left in the middle of the season. Like, obviously there was, like, there, no one, when, when the Cardinals are 33 and 47 and Herzog is leaving in the middle of the year to let Red take over, not everyone is saying Whitey Herzog is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, probably the best way, it's probably the best way to put that. And a lot of that was, you know, uh, a, a lot of it was, frankly, what happens to all sorts of teams like this. Teams that are really successful stick with their guys too long like that's what happens right that's that's always what happens it's what happened to the tigers why they're completely falling apart if you look at like the 90 team for example you've got john tudor who was actually pretty good that year but you've got a lot of guys in their 30s hanging on a little bit too long you've got uh guys like like listen you've got guys who terry pendleton was 30 years old before he made his research with the Braves. he's in the lineup every day uh you're not starting some of those younger players he didn't trust he didn't trust young players you had bernard gilkey on that team he never played him. You had uh, you, uh, the Brunansky trade. A lot of people didn't like the Brunansky trade. Remember, he ran the team, too. I know that Del Maxwell was there, but he did nothing that Whitey didn't say that he was going to do. When your team is not winning, people don't like you, even if they like you. <laughs> like, even if the other time they like you. And I think now, because those 80s teams were so fun and so exciting, we think only happy things. This happens with, I'm an Illinois basketball fan, and Lou Hinson is, 
like a god in Illinois right now, but I grew up watching my parents and my grandparents screaming about Lewinson all the time because it's what you do. You yell at the manager, and I get it. I think there's, it's a pressure valve. I think it's part of the job. You have to be able to take that. And yes, I think Whitey got it less than Matheny does, and I think less than LaRusso did, to be honest. Also, didn't I, li- he didn't live in the Twitterverse either. So Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, But with <laughs> Matheny, the problem with Matheny, because there, I think there are clear strategic things that that he struggles with. I think bullpen management is at the very top of it. Uh, the obsession with the double switch. The, uh, the, the my, my joke about Matheny is that he's a one-plan man. And that he does come up with a plan, but when things go haywire, he still is like, nope, this is my plan. I'm sticking with my plan. There seems like this weird sort of alpha male stubbornness to it. Like he will almost be respected for it by sticking to his plan rather than adjusting to circumstances on the ground. And I think that's the major issue with Matheny. And the and my that's what's frustrating. And it's also very frustrating to me that we're seven years in now and you're still seeing the same mistakes. You're still seeing the same the same things that the the not trusting young players, the same uh double switches, the same I need my emergency pitcher, uh, even though it leaves us a roster spot short. Just a lot of those things. And when you see in the front office, right, every offseason it feels like the front office spends a lot of its time maneuvering the roster to make it easier for Mike, which is kind of weird, right? Like the, the manager is just supposed to be the middle manager. He's supposed to, he, like Matheny, I think he's very obsessed with being this leader of men and gripping so tight when I think it would benefit to just be like, this team has a lot of talent. This team has a lot of talent, and Matheny is generally respected. So that's enough. But like Matheny's very much of the I have to be the leader. I have my guys, and Larusa had his guys too. But Larusa had won multiple World Series. Is one of the greatest managers of all time. And whereas Matheny, it feels like a lot of the mistakes that we see now are the same mistakes that we saw in 2012. I still don't think I. I, I find Matheny. Uh, frustrating because you see those same mistakes and you see him in, unable to adjust on the fly to situations that, uh, I, and to be honest, the larger thing, I can't believe, like after after the Waka thing in 2014, like that's Grady Little era <laughs> level of malfeasance. Like that is, in, that is the worst possible, it's honestly worst decision than the Grady Little. It's one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. And the idea, and since then, you've noticed a general more lack of faith, I think, among the fan base in him. That was such an inexplicable decision. And I think now, the first few years, because they won so much, because they had so much talent, it got hid a little bit. Now, I think a lot of the seams are starting to show a little bit. Yeah, I think mine is, is, is more specific. It's the fact, now I know pitchers flame out, but you... Kevin Segrist should oh, still yeah. be a major league pitcher. And I know Trevor Rosenthal may one day be, uh, but, you know, just Randy Choate. Oh, he, in, oh yeah. He, he, burnt, he, burnt, he burnt Rosenthal apart. You know, and I understand. I, I guess what I get so frustrated with during these games, and it's not a Matheny thing. This is a baseball thing, and that's going to, as we get close to the end here, and I appreciate your time, Will. But the fact that. Jordan Hicks will throw nine pitches and strike three guys out. Oh, got to get him out. We, we need him for tomorrow. <laughs> How about one day we – and he did it the other day against the Reds. We're taping this uh, after the Reds series at home. Uh, we need to play the Reds 162, obviously. But, <laughs> but it, it, it's that – it's just that got to get these three guys in every night. Well, hasn't – over seven years, haven't we seen that by August, the three guys that you love to use just 
aren't going to work. And I understand if you really only have three guys you trust, which was at one point Segrist, O, and Rosenthal, then then I get it. I totally get it. Then you, you don't have enough guys down there. That's a problem. But how about then let's use Segrist for two innings one night and O the, the, for the ninth, and then Segrist is off the next night and Rosenthal gets to... It just never ends. Where Now he's got six good guys to use, so he's going to use all six of them every night. It's like... You've got to learn that this just it does not work over 162 and especially if you're trying to get to 187 or whatever the uh, you know another 16 games would be. So that's that's my one real real thing and then the Matt Carpenter slash Matt Holiday slash whoever your veteran number 3 hitter is that they get to just play and, and run the team and and hey, I want to be the second baseman. Hey, I want to I want to hit first, I don't want to hit third. The whole the Matt Carpenter thing, I, a nice guy, like him. He's yeah, a one. He just. I don't get anti Carpenter people. Yeah. I, I, he's a bad base runner, though. He's gotten better this year. Because because back. here's I mean, he's not a great field, but I don't know what the other problem. The problem I have with him is if he's going to be your leadoff guy, and I, I hate when I see that someone has just said this. I know you do a podcast with Bernie, but I just heard mm. Bernie say this, and I this is why I like Bernie. I think we think the same, but a guy with an OBP of five hundred does nothing to me if he can't get to third base on a single, if he can't steal second base, if he can't. Be part of a hit and run. What good is a guy that has a 500 OP? Great. Walk every time. I would love that. But but you you can't do anything on the bases. He's, he's decent defensively. But I can't stand watching him take every pitch and then look at the umpire like McGuire used to do and go, what? That's a strike? And I know he's this. Usually sta- right. That's why he walks. Right. And I know. And then I. But I, I do. I, I talk myself in circles because I know the stat where he he missed like there was fifty seven strikes called on him that were balls last year. I saw the stat, so I understand. But it's frustrating. Just swing the bat, man. I think he over yeah. he overthinks so much. But my but my main point is yes. Great, great OBP guy. But once you get on base, what are you going to do with it? And that's uh, that. you sound like one of those Reds broadcasters that are always all over Joey Votto. Like Joey Votto is uh, like like yeah, Joey Votto is gets on base all the time, and they're always yelling at him for not having more RBIs. Like for like the whole point is actually to go. Yes, sure, maybe he's not going to steal second base, but you know a really great way to score is to get on base. Like it's really so much better than not getting on base. And so, and to me, what I like about what I like about Carpenter in the one spot is not just that he has a high OBP because I agree. And, and the and a great case against him leading off has always been how bad of a base runner. It's not even a slow base runner, like a bad base runner, like like making bad decisions. I think Okendo being back has helped that. I don't. I've not seen a lot of that this year, but that's always been a good case against him as a leadoff guy. But I think it's a much better case for him as a leadoff guy is that he gets on base a lot, and more to the point, he makes the pitcher work. Like this is a game now where we almost have to think of pitch counts as a clock. We need to think. That's why they're literally on the broadcast every game. Is you like at a certain level, the more you build that up, and the earlier you get in, the stats on guys in the third time through the lineup against the first and second time is dramatically different. The more pitches you can make him throw, and the quicker you can get his clock, that is that's what you want from your leadoff man. Now, stolen bases just don't have the value that they did when Whitey Herzog was managing, and that maybe aesthetically that makes me kind of sad because I love that part version of baseball. It was really fun to watch. It was exciting, but that's not how baseball is valued now. Like stolen bases are just not that important. They're handy and they're helpful, but this is a station to station game. I find it. I agree with you. I don't find it as fun to watch as uh, as Vince. Like 
I'm gonna just like I'm sorry, but Matt Carpenter is so much better of a leadoff man than Vince Coleman ever was because Vince Coleman couldn't get on base. Vince Coleman could not get on base. We remember Vince Coleman stealing bases all the time, and so therefore we think of them as this great leadoff guy. But he couldn't get on base, <laughs> and so therefore every time he got on base, he stole. But if if Matt, Vince Coleman got on base at this rate that Matt Carpenter did, and then stole the way that Vince Vince Coleman did, he'd have had like 200 stolen bases. But uh, so I think we have this. This idea that leadoff man has to be fast trapped to get himself over whereas this is a station to station baseball this is a three true outcome sport now and it's not as much fun i agree it's not as much fun as it was when it was vince coleman and william mcgee running around the bases all the time but that's what baseball is now and i think matt carpenter is indicative of that let me add and i, I really appreciate those thoughts and i i you do you do make me think at least and that's a good thing uh but you were talking about baseball i i just i i know we're in it there's phases of the game and maybe this is I, I just can't stand it. I can't stand watching uh, swing and miss or home run. I can't stand six pitchers pitching in a game. We don't. I mean, starters are just asked, "Hey, give me four, give me five. We've got five guys in the bullpen." Uh, the pace is slow because of that. I don't even mind the pace. Like the pace is like number ten. I don't mind going to a game and it being long. I don't mind it being long on TV. Uh, I know we're trying to speed it up for kids and all this stuff, but these these things—the the swing and miss versus home run and launch angle—and and, and you know Paul DeYoung is a perfect example of baseball in 2018. I don't like it, and I I don't need listen. I don't need Whitey Ball to come back, but I want my 2004 Cardinals maybe to come back, where there's <laughs> running a little bit, there's a little speed, there's a little power, there's just a good team. I, I guess we're on the same page with that, though, right? I think so. I mean, I, 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 this is also a problem with music, right? Like, if you ask me what my favorite kind of music is, I'm going to say, if you ask really almost anyone in the country what their favorite kind of music is, their answer is going to be, oh, the music I listened to when I was, like, eight, between the ages of 18 and 29. <laughs> like, whatever we grew up in, or maybe the ages of 15 and 29. Like, the music, the, the way that baseball was when I fell in love with baseball was the Whitey Ball and was the Vince Coleman and was the William McGee. But as you get older and the game evolves, there are people watching the game now, going up with the game now, who are more into the efficiency of this, who are okay with grinding out the at-bats, who like this stuff, who grew up falling in love with the game now. I think in our, as I agree with you, I think it's more fun when people are stealing bases. But that doesn't necessarily make me right. It just means that's the thing that I grew up liking. And there are going to be other people growing up today who don't feel that way. So I understand. I agree. I think the strikeouts in baseball are, I mean, I, do, I love baseball so much that it's not going to bother me. But I do understand and appreciate the argument that there are so many strikeouts in baseball right now that it's turning into people like to watch fielding. They like to watch great fielding plays. They like to watch people running and a lot of times baseball is people swinging and fouling at pitches and then striking out. So I, I'm appreciative of that. But I also think that I would rather my team, uh, as a Cardinals fan, as more than, even more than I am as a baseball fan, I'd rather my team adjust to the times and not try to do something that, that makes me nostalgic for the way that baseball used to be, even if it's not necessarily the best way to win. Uh, again... Agree with you, Will Leach. This has been <laughs> this has been fun. Now I mentioned that you you I don't think if, I'm, if I mentioned that you do a podcast with Bernie, but that's awesome. Um, you do your own podcast. You do <laughs> what a TV show, MLB.com, Kurt columnist, um, 
just pretty much doing everything. And then I was, I forgot that you're kind of big on uh, movies too. So just give me a, and I read your book. I read two of your books, two of your four. Uh, love the one, Are We Winning? You must have ran into my dad on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I bought these on my own, uh, especially because I know your dad. I really wanted to read the one, Are You Winning? Are We Winning? Uh, it's such a great book. You and your dad at, at Wrigley, and it kind of just runs over the, the whole dad uh, baseball experience. But just, uh, I guess, just give me a, th- a thought on what's, uh, I, you know what? Also, when I was thinking about talking to you, you're always seeing, seemingly ahead of the curve. Like Deadspin was before you were there before Deadspin got big. Then you wrote a couple books. Then you kind of did a podcast. You move. You move strategically ahead of the curve. I feel like more than some of our baseball management, obviously in St. Louis. <laughs> what uh? What do you think? Uh, you know, five years is it hard to ask a question like that? What What do you like most? You like? I know you like writing the most. Um, like I said, I didn't realize how much you really loved movies. Um, yeah. But I guess, yeah, I don't know what to ask here. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to make stuff. Like, <laughs> I, to me, like, you know, I uh, I really can't put it any more simply than that. Like, for me, you know, my hero growing up uh, was, well, other than Nazi Smith and William McGee and Daryl Porter, of course, uh, was Roger Ebert. He was actually kind of my writing hero. And Roger Ebert has this famous quote saying, the muse visits during the act of creation, not before, which is to say, sit down and get to work. My dad's an electrician. They're both retired now. My dad's an electrician and my mom is a nurse and they get up and they work and that's what they do. And so for me, I, I like writing and I like, I love writing about sports and movies, all of these things. But for me, it's like the work is kind of its own role. Award. And so I do find that like I like like I do the I do the Seeing Red podcast with Bernie Miklos every week, and I like I maybe there's a strategy, a subconscious strategy in that that I don't know, but mostly it's just really fun for me to talk about the Cardinals with Bernie Miklos once a week. That's so cool, and so like that's fun. And like the movie thing is my best friend from high school is a film critic, and we talk about movies all the time. We do a, a weekly movie broadcast. I love baseball. I love writing about politics. Like for me, I. I think the thing that keeps, if I don't know if I am ahead of any curve, but I think the thing that keeps me fresh and alert and alive and, and part of this business is that I really love it. <laughs> like, I really love getting to do this stuff. And I found that that's not something you can fake. I felt a lot of people who, as, as you get older in this industry, you get a little bit more jaded and you get a little <laughs> bit more like, uh, and they get caught up in, and page views and 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 this I don't like this company this sports company and they're becoming really popular and why is this terrible show on my TV and it becomes like a negativity like things that you should have had and uh, this idiot now has them and I feel like that down that path madness lies like I I for me I get to make stuff all I ever wanted to do was be able to make stuff so I just follow the things that I care about and then just keep making them. Uh, and I'm always looking for new ways to make them, but it's not because like, here is what the future of media is going to be because I have no idea when Deadspin launched, there was no YouTube. So like, it's very fun to write some very early Deadspin posts where I'm like, if we could put video on the web, I'd put up the video here, but obviously we can't and never will be able to. So obviously things change really fast in media. For me, the fun part is just, Getting to, to have the things that I care about and, 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 and get to make stuff within that context, that's really exciting for me. The name of your book is Are We Winning? And I got to say, yes, Will Leach is winning. That was really a cool thing to hear because I did. I was going to use the word jaded. I got really jaded after 
Yeah, I covered the Cardinals for 15 straight years, and it, it just became not fun. Oh, I get it. I and, get it. That's why I could never be a beat reporter. I have such respect for that job because it's really, really hard. And I, 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 and for me, part of my first deal to ever work in sports in the first place was to make sure that I still loved it. And I still loved – like I'm going to be in St. Louis a couple times this summer, and I absolutely cannot wait to get the stadium and to have a beer and to get out my scorebook and just really, just really have the same experience I had – I've really had it with baseball my whole life. If I ever lose that, I kind of feel like I need to get out of it. <laughs> like I feel I need to find something else to do because for me, the enthusiasm is what drives it. Otherwise, I'm just, I, if, I, if I were going to do a job – like media is a tough job. You know that. Like media, there's constant turnover. Everybody's yelling at you all the time. It doesn't really pay that well. Like you do – you have to do this because you love it because if you start to lose it and you start to lose that love and you become jaded – then you actually have all the bad stuff that comes with covering with being in media and none of the good stuff. Yeah, and I and that's that's what happened is people offer me free tickets to a Cardinal game and I'm like, no, I've I've been there and all I day. Get it, and I get it. But you I know what I mean? It's that it's that and now it's total. I'm I'm any. Hey, you got to. I'm yeah. Let's go. It's Tuesday night. I don't. Let's go. It's the Mets. I don't care. Let's go. You know. Um. So yeah, I pre, It's fun to hear you say that. We'll definitely have to have a beer. And by the way, I forgot to mention. Most importantly, this is the 50th episode of this podcast, oh, right. and I'm very excited to have you be number 50. And I did this podcast just because I love doing interviews, and uh, I left Fox, and I'm like, well, when am I going to do interviews? So I'm hoping maybe I can kind of create a little niche like you've created here. I, you're a way more talented writer. I can't write. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you do. I, I like how you have your hands in all these other things, and it's kind of um, you know something to look forward to maybe Life doesn't end at 40, right, Will? <laughs> uh, God, I hope not. Otherwise, I died two and a half years ago. So, yeah, I hope not. Well, I'm, I'm having fun, man. This is, I, I'm just delighted to be able to make stuff and talk. And, and again, I really, I, I emphasize this, the Seeing Red podcast, but like, man, just to get to talk, like, I've been reading Bernie Miklas since I was a kid. So, I get to just talk to him about baseball is a really exciting. One I will say about Bernie, I love Bernie, and I, I will. If there's something big happen over the weekend, I'm going to go see what he has to say, and I might go, Bernie, oh, come on, stop it. But yeah. it's that's what's great about Bernie is you cannot agree. You can say, oh, come on, Bernie, it's that what you said last week. And he will have numbers and facts, and it's it's that's why he's the big dog. And, and I look forward to hearing some of your stuff with him. But I really do appreciate spending some time with you, as always. And I will I will look for your uh, for you and your dad. And mom and, uh, and uh, your sister, and we'll all have a beer at the ball game, or we'll go over to Ballpark Village and, and have a talk. You do not have to ask me twice. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> all right, Will. Take care.